This is Reimagine Law, a podcast about legal education and careers to help students navigate their career choices. Welcome to this episode of Reimagine Law. In this episode, we're continuing our series where the four main collaborators are all interviewing each other about our career paths. So today, I'm delighted to be speaking with my fellow Reimagine Law host, Fran Rydell, Director of the Queen Mary Legal Advice Centre, and exploring your career path, Fran. So that's the goal for today. Hello. Yes, it feels very strange to be talking about us, doesn't it, Nigel? <laughs> it, it does. It does. Um, I had a go at one myself with Simon, Fran. So, so here we are talking, uh, talking about yours, which I'm so looking forward to hearing about. So should we, should we jump straight in? Yeah, absolutely. So first area, Fran, your career journey so far, and especially perhaps at decision points, why did you take the decisions you did? Oh, so my career journey starts at about the age of 14. Um, I think I was being gobby to a teacher at school um, who responded in a way by saying, well, you should just be a barrister, shouldn't you? And I said, well, what on earth is that? And I said, you know, the people on the TV who wear the gowns in the courtroom dramas. And I was like, oh, no, I'm going to be an actress. I'm not going to be a barrister. And um, of course, then the seed had been planted in my mind. And every time, you know, you switch on the telly, and you see it. Um, so, so from then on, really, I was massively drawn to advocacy. Um, and at the same time, just to give a bit of context, I was growing up in East London. So I'd already witnessed quite a few situations of um, police powers perhaps being misused. Um, and it all really kind of pointed for me in an absolute fascination with criminal defence work. Um, and add into the mix that I wasn't driven by money in any way. You know, I didn't ever have a desire to drive a fancy car or anything. So I always knew that if I did go into law, I'd want to go into something for the public or social good, perhaps public interest lawyer or community lawyer. Um, so really, that's that's kind of how criminal defence ended up um, being at the forefront of my mind. <laughs> and really... Within that, I just wanted to do closing speeches to juries, really. I didn't really even want to do the other bits of the criminal work. But of course, that came as, as, as part and parcel. So I entered this idea of thinking about my career in a very blinkered way. And of course, in hindsight, looking back, that wasn't the best thing to have done. But, you know, you can't change your journey and that, that's what it was. So um, I went to a state school in, in Newham and then a sixth form college in, in Walthamstow, which was you know, incredibly relaxed. Um, I just did A-levels. I thought I was going to enjoy uh, rather than particularly academic ones. Um, and then when it came to university, uh, people said to me, you know, oh, you should apply for some in London and some out of London. I said, no, no, I want to be in London. Anyway, so at the end of the day, I only applied for three in London. Um, and of course, I only got into one of those. So I didn't really have much choice about where I ended up going to university. Uh, but as it happens, I landed on my feet and I came to Queen Mary University of London. Um, which was in, in my end, to, you know, just down the road uh, from Newham. Uh, there I did my degree, my law degree, which quite frankly was a bit tough. I, I was always at that sort of end of the cohort that always felt like they were struggling, if I'm really honest. Um, while at uni, uh, I heard about this thing called scholarships for, for the inns of courts, and I thought, oh, well, I need one of those. So I applied to Middle Temple, who... To this day, I'm eternally grateful. Um, they funded uh, a little bit more than half of my bar course, which made it um, much more achievable. Um, but, you know, I had a job and stuff all through, through university as well. So saving up there to try and pay for bar school. Um, and I went to bar school and it felt like home. 
for the first time I was doing practical learning um, I was thriving I was around people who also wanted to go down the same career path as me which was really refreshing um, and, and don't get me wrong I was obviously a little bit different to a lot of people there but there were some absolute cool people I met that inspired me that the, the whole way anyway look I'm not going to lie to you after bar school the slog for pupillage was hard um, and we're talking back here now in um, 2006 so it's you know potentially got even harder since then um, I think I had 18 first round pupillage interviews uh, and two second round pupillage interviews and then only one offer of pupillage and you know those second round interviews were talking five hours you know four days um, so it was tough um, but I ended up at the most wonderful set of chambers and in hindsight looking back I can see why I didn't get any of the other ones because they weren't suited to me in any way you know um, I went to 15 Newbridge Street uh, which has some incredibly talented barristers um, and is a set of chambers that's general crime. And from the moment I got there, I felt like it was home. And I still refer to them as my chambers family, you know, even though I'm only a door tenant now there. Um, so, yeah, I then entered the world of, of, of the criminal bar. Um, there was four of us who were pupils at the same time, uh, two and then another two, six months apart. Um, and it was a lovely, supportive environment. Um, Frank, can I ask a question just there, please? Because you say you get, and this is just my ignorance, I know the world of solicitors more and obviously your barrister, your barrister pathway there. So when you get to the end of pupillage, what's the, as you say, then you move on from there. Is that something, again, where it's a decision point, where you're still thinking, is this for me? Or how, how, does, how does the mindset work there? So pupillage is um, officially 12 months, so six months observing, six months doing. And literally on day one of your second six months of pupillage, they go, here's a trial, off you go to Macclesfield Magistrate School, whatever it might be. Um, but actually back then, you always did a third six to see if you could get taken on. Um, and there isn't, I mean, there is a decision point, but the, the truth is chambers want to know you're going to stay. They're not going to, it's, it's a big investment for a chambers to, to have you. And they have so few pupils that it's actually a real disappointment for a chambers if a pupil doesn't stay. Um, but of course, when I was there, there were more pupils than there was perhaps opportunities for tenancy. So it wasn't a given that you would always get it. The chambers almost had, you know, the, the upper hand in terms of that. Whereas now they take fewer pupils. I think there's much more of um, an understanding that, that you'll, you'll probably get taken on unless something's gone particularly badly. Um, and, and I'm talking about tenancy. Tenancy is effectively an opportunity to be self-employed in a set of chambers. So a set of chambers is a collective of self-employed barristers who all put a certain percentage or a certain um, quantity of money into the pot of chambers. Um, that pot pays for clerks who are the staff who might book in cases and manage diaries um, and try and ensure that you're building your practice and doing the types of cases you want to do. Uh, printing costs, building costs, that kind of thing. They would um, often you might have marketing events that the chambers organise, but effectively you start your tenancy and like build your own practice. Well, really, you're building your own practice from your second six, and you might get little bits of, um, of food <laughs> from other members of chambers who can't do a case or a trial and return it back into the, the pot. So you, we call that doing someone's returns. Um, but fundamentally, you're building your own practice and deciding how you want your your um, career to be shaped. So you know. Life at the criminal bar is tough. Um, it's the most rewarding job 
and one of the toughest jobs both at the same time so it's rewarding because you're you're constantly surrounded by these fantastically charismatic people all the time you know um intelligent charismatic people um you are doing really interesting work sometimes with vulnerable clients sometimes with difficult clients every day is different um it's tough because you're traveling the length and breadth of the country often, you know, um, you know, even now I was chatting to a friend the other day who did, did weeks and weeks away in, 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 in Salisbury um, and has a family, <laughs> you know, um, and, and if you're going to Manchester for a 10 o'clock hearing, you know, you're up at half four, ready to get on that, that train. And the other reason it's tough is especially at the junior end, you don't know what you're doing until the night before because the court diaries are only really published and clarified at about 4 p.m. So that period between four and six is very busy for the clerks in a set of chambers because they're working out the diary, who's covering what. If a random mention on a case has gone in, but the person doing that case can't cover it, it might be that they need to get a junior member of chambers to go and, and, and cover. Um, so, you know, you're forever booking dinner with, with friends again, but I might have to cancel. Any chance we could make it half eight rather than half seven in case I've got to prepare for tomorrow? Um, and, and of course, if you get a trial at 4 p.m. the night before, that's staying up really quite late to prepare that trial to, to, them, to then be able to deliver it um, to, to a proper standard the next day. Um, and it's hard because you're also self-employed, but you can't you can't set your own fees. So most of criminal work is legally fun, legal aid funded. Um, and legal aid means that the um, I think we're going to do an episode on legal aid shortly, but legal aid means that the government pay a lawyer to represent somebody in court. So um, so you're, you're, you've got all of the, the negatives of being self-employed, like building your practice, but without necessarily being able to set the fee. But having said that, it is the most incredible area of law to practice in. It, it, it really is. And so from moving, I mean, that's just a fascinating insight. And, and then as your career developed, as you progressed and, you know, went through the next steps there, how did your career thinking develop as well in terms of thinking well where do I want to go next and what might be my next step yeah so really at the, at the bar it's about thinking what type of cases you want to do that's how you would, would develop and, and progress um and it started to dawn on me that I really liked the junior work you know I loved going to the youth court but the youth court was paid the same amount as going to a magistrate's court rather than, than crown court fees it was deemed to be work more suitable for the junior end so as I was getting more senior it wasn't really that appropriate for me to be to be going and, and, and doing it um and slowly but surely I started to fall out of love with it is the truth which was a really really hard thing to admit when you've wanted to do this and kind of had that very blinkered approach it's quite hurtful and, and hard um and I ended up going on a secondment to the serious fraud office so um they prosecute really big frauds um, and working on um, the prosecution of, of, of bankers and brokers in what we call the libel investigation, so a, a, a huge fraud case. And I was doing quite a lot of desk work, and actually I thought, oh, this is not quite so bad, actually. I've got a bit of a life and a bit of a steady income of, of money, um, having sworn, of course, I'd never do a desk job. <laughs> um, and then I, I went back to the bar, and it kind of still didn't really satisfy me um 
And at the same time, I should also add into the uh, tapestry of this story, I was actually, I'd come back to Queen Mary, who just opened a legal advice centre, giving free advice to members of the public. And I was volunteering. So I was you know, supervising um, law students, giving advice to members of the public and, and really enjoying that. And they were looking for a deputy director and were saying, you know, come on, apply. So I think I applied for, for two jobs at the same time, one at the serious fraud office to be permanently there uh, and one to be the deputy director at the Legal Advice Centre. Um, and I got the Legal Advice Centre job and, 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 and accepted it. Uh, and of course, every time somebody said congratulations on your new job, I just cried <laughs> because I, I fundamentally, my heart was, you know, at the criminal bar. I was just coming to that realisation that it wasn't what I wanted to do on a daily basis. Um, so, yeah, so 2015, I joined the Queen Mary Legal Advice Centre as a deputy director um, and was suddenly thrust into this world um, where I was helping to run a big student law centre and teaching and it was higher education. It wasn't lawyer land. <laughs> so that took a little bit of adjustment. Um, and then I became the director um, a, a few years after that. Um, but, but, you know, it, it was a huge adjustment because... Not many of us here in the law department still have practice certificates. So I am a lawyer, but I'm in higher education. So I've had to kind of carve out the niche role that I'm in. Um, but it's fantastic. It's a huge law centre um, that has about 400 law students a year and about 150 volunteer lawyers. And, and we get a whole range of different cases that come through the centre. And it's really diversified my mindset. And now looking back, I'm thinking, oh, maybe I would have been interested in special educational needs law or something like that had I not had that blinkered approach that I had, had at the beginning. Yeah. It is fascinating, Fran, isn't it? As you say, you, you move into experiences and actually things you say, oh, that's interesting. Oh, I wonder what would have happened if I'd have, if I'd have known that a little while ago. Anyway, that's, what a fascinating, I love the word tapestry that you, that you use there, Fran, lovely tapestry for, up to, you know, for your career. So up to, up to now. So just to keep on moving through the, through the questions, Fran, and to guide our listeners. Next question. What's the best career advice you've been given? Oh, there's so much. But I, I remember distinctly um, my first six pupil supervisor, who's still a dear friend of mine, um, telling me I needed the gloss. He said, you're as good as all of the people who've been to private school you just don't have the gloss. I'm like, what's the gloss? I need the gloss. Where do I find the gloss from? And I and I learned both from him and um and just sort of from going through the process what the gloss was. And it, it doesn't mean losing the essence of who you are, which is perhaps what I thought it meant when I first heard that phrase. Um, you know, it, it means learning how to connect with other people in a professional manner. And you know, one of the big things that he instilled in me was your spelling, punctuation, grammar, and proofreading and formatting needs to be absolutely on point. You cannot let that slip. And it's not an excuse, you know, that, that you, you might have, have come from state school. And, and I very quickly learned that lesson. Um, and, you know, confidence as well. So have eye contact. Um, you know, be... Be confident in what you're saying, remembering people's names when you're meeting them at networking events and using them when you talk back to them um, and, and learning that you have a place at the table rather than sort of even just the demeanor of how you stand sometimes. And the other thing he said to me was like, look at the key phrases that people use 
and work out whether you want to emulate them or what your version of them is. So like the, the classic one at the bar is, you know, I started to notice people put at the end of their emails, you know, if I could be of any further assistance, please do not hesitate to ask. So I started to use that. And then I started to feel my confidence growing. And of course, now I've sort of found who I am a bit more. I don't use that. I use a tweaked version of that. But it's a, it, it really helps me to kind of, I think some people say fake it until you, you make it. And I think that's a really interesting point. And, you know, where I just heard you talking for the last couple of minutes, you, you started off from that concept of what, does, you know, adding gloss but actually that gloss is a very almost three-dimensional type of gloss. You say it might involve, you know, attention to detail on your writing, or it might be the confidence, or it might be how you interact face-to-face with people. So it's interesting, isn't it? There's, as you say, it's quite a, a rounded topic that, and thinking for all of our listeners, thinking, okay, what do I need to build? I think there's some lovely examples there, Fran, of almost areas they could focus on. And gloss continues to be built for me. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I even was traveling home last night, having been in a meeting, and I thought to myself, wow, you wouldn't have been that confident even a year ago sitting in that meeting. And, you know, and I'm quite far through my career now. So, Fran, the next question I'm going to ask you is, uh, what do you know now that you wish you had known when you were starting out? Careers aren't static. They're a journey and enjoy that journey. As distinctly once remember, sorry to talk about, you know, the war tales, being told on a Saturday morning, because of course uh, pupil barristers go to court on a Saturday morning, uh, that my case was at Slough Magistrates Court. It was actually at Aylesbury Magistrates Court. By the time I had, you know, used my entire fee on the train fare to get there and then a taxi to hop foot it, because I was so terrified someone else would take my client and my solicitor would be very angry with me. I got to Aylesbury. Of course, someone had taken the client and I got home and I just sobbed. I I just lay on the sofa and cried for hours, still in my suit, I think, until it woke up about 5 p.m. or something. And actually, the context of that now in my career is so minimal, you know, but at the time it feels like the end of the world. But your career is not static. It's not all focused on on that immediacy. It's it's much more fluid than that. And Fran, that's an interesting example as well, because I, I was going to try and weave into some of the questions uh, today as well. The thought of when you've been faced with something difficult, how did you get through it? And you just you've just described a very difficult situation there. I mean, and I just wondered either that situation or perhaps another situation, perhaps when you faced something that was a bit tricky or you felt, oh, how do I deal with this? Or how am I going to get through this? What did you do? I mean, any, any memories from, from that? Yeah, it's... um. It's difficult, really, because I've got lots of examples of when things were tricky on a on a sort of immediacy basis. Um, <laughs> and I guess in some ways people say, well, things got tricky and you jumped ship and changed careers. But I, I definitely learned from, from everything I had. You know, there was quite a lot of times where I had difficult negotiations with prosecutors or where I had difficult judges, if, if we're honest, you know, and, and I distinctly remember towards the end of my career being terrified sometimes of going to court and making submissions. And the best thing I, I ever did was to talk to people in chambers, you know. Um, we always talk about work from home as this positive thing, but actually my best learning in my career came from going back into chambers at 4pm after court and talking to the people in my room or saying, you just got five minutes something happened at court today and I'm just not quite sure about it um and actually now that papers have gone digital that's that's been lost there's real value in in, in junior lawyers still having that peer-to-peer um contact I think Fran that touches on a really important point for people um for all of our listeners really that thought of 
at those moments where you need it, where do you get that, that, that wise counsel, that guidance, as you say, and you, as you say, those five minute conversations. And perhaps that's a, that's a thought for our listeners of almost, okay, if I'm in a bit of a quandary, if I'm struggling to almost work out where I go next or what the idea is, who can I talk to? Absolutely. And the essence of Chambers is like that. You know, like I was saying, you're, you're a second six pupil, you're on your feet and you're suddenly at court going, I don't know what this is. I think like my third case, my client had got a plastic bag lined with foil, um, a, a, a heroin addict who was um, in court for shoplifting. And I was like, what's the significance of the foil? So straight away was calling another pupil going, help me, help me. What is this? And they're like, oh, it stops the alarms going off. You know, the shots like fantastic. Great. Thanks. Cool. You speak to you later. So, you know, you look, picking up the phone in this era of emails and texts, you know, we don't pick up the phone enough. So have your trusted work colleagues, your trusted people and, and communicate with them. It doesn't have to be long communications, just ask questions, especially if you're working remotely. So is that one of the, the takeaways, perhaps, then, Fran, from that point of things you wish you'd known when starting out? It's almost the, having the confidence to ask almost and seek that, seek that advice and counsel. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, one of the first things anyone ever said to me before I got on my feet was make sure you have every member of Chambers phone number saved in your phone book, because you're going to need to speak to people at short notice and just be able to press that button. Have you almost your little group of advisors, your mentors are available on, on, on your speed dial, <laughs> as they say. Very good. Fran, moving on. Another one that's a bit of a time machine looking backwards question. of If you were starting out now, I mean, you've had a fascinating pathway that you've talked us through. If you were starting out now, what advice do you think you'd give yourself career-wise? Yes, I think there's three main bits of advice that I'd give. You know, um, number one, you deserve a place at the table. You went through the, the um, recruitment process. Sit at the table and put your shoulders back, girl. Come on, get on with it. Um, and then the second thing I would say is don't try and hide who you are. Um, and, and the third thing I think I'd say is really master the practical bits. So. And look things up if you don't know how to use a function on Outlook, Word, Excel. Be Get your administration in order. But I didn't realise when I was self-employed, straight, fresh, as young as you can get out of uni, that you could file emails. Now, I feel embarrassed saying this or that. Open access podcast. So I got to this job of Queen Mary, and it's life-changing, you know, to action an email and then file it. You never miss a thing like getting on top of that kind of basics is really really important am i allowed to add a fourth one sorry i've just thought of a fourth you can one. add a fourth one Fran. it's your career it's your career discussion <laughs> also be engaged so you often hear people talking about what they think they should put on their cv ah, like yeah. it's a load of nonsense pick what you're engaged with and what you're interested in and go into it a hundred percent wholehearted rather than trying to fill the gaps by I don't know, doing an essay writing competition, which really isn't your thing. Focus on, you know, for me, would be something that was more advocacy that is my thing. Like find what your, your thing is and, and, and be wholehearted about it. I think it's a lovely thought. You know, we, we've talked about almost know, know thyself. You know, we always said know yourself, didn't we? You know, in our podcast here. And I think that whole thing of what do I care about and go for it and be really committed and you know, because then you can bring your enthusiasm to it as well, I guess, can't you? You know, that that all helps. It helps it come through when you're, whether it's an interview or whether you're with a client or, or whatever it is, you know, or, or with the students or, you know, uh, whoever. Um, great stuff. Thank you very much, Fran. Um, so that was for when you were starting out. You've had all these amazing experiences you, you've talked us through. What's your career taught you? 
what has my career taught me? Do what interests you at the time when it interests you. Yeah. And be honest about it. You don't have to, to be anything for anybody else. Find who your own identity is. I know, I know we keep saying this, but it's just so true. Um, and I've not lost what I did in my past. I've I, you know, I've still got all of that expertise. But the truth is I, I I'm much, I'm much happier working at a pro bono center, working in a sort of teaching capacity with students than I was doing doing the other type of work. And that doesn't mean I might not one day go back to it. Who knows? I I try to take the blinkers off now, you know. Um, That's a great point, it? because it's that point, I guess, of don't hide what you're feeling and almost bring, you know, if you're feeling something really strongly about saying, OK, that's how I felt about this three years ago. But actually, do you know what I feel now? So don't ignore that, I suppose, in the way as you as your career evolves and the way your interests evolve or your passions evolve for, for different things. And you try something and you say, oh, actually, that's quite interesting. Or, you know, and actually, perhaps I even prefer that. And, and I felt like I'd failed and jumped shit. Everyone else said to me, no, it's really brave what you've done. And so actually, I think that the, the profession is, 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 is littered with, with people who feel miserable in different roles. And actually having, having that ability to change when, when is right for them. And it might not ever be right. You know, they might not want to change, but it might be. Well, and I think it's that point of you will be much more fulfilled, happy, whatever word we want to use. If you actually listen to that inner voice and actually think, no, I'm going to go for it. That's what I'm passionate about. And there'll be a, a way to make it work. And then that's, that's what I'm going to go for. You know, so, Fran, it's been wonderful to hear your career, Jenny. Thank you so much. Well, and it's been strangely therapeutic for me. So, <laughs> the pleasure's been mine. Thank you. Well, we hope all of our listeners have enjoyed that as much as I did. And tune in next time for another episode of Reimagine Law. Mm-hmm.